I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. For seven weeks in 1993, Frankston was in lockdown as police hunted a serial killer who would continue to kill until he was caught. Homicide investigator Charlie Bassina was in charge of the first case and was there to the end when Paul Charles Denyer was caught and confessed. Join me, John Sylvester, with Charlie on November 5 for the inside story. A Black Salmon event. Join Sly and Charlie in the hunt for the Frankston serial killer at the St Kilda Town Hall on November the 5th. Tickets at Eventbrite. Uh, Hello, and thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. And just a couple of things I'd like to ask you to consider. Firstly, my guests share their personal stories, which others may see differently. No one will see a situation the same. It's just human nature. Uh, Secondly, my podcasts aren't suitable for children and some adults for that matter. So please consider if it's right for you and contact Lifeline or any other support service if you find yourself affected by my subject matter. And I felt very humbled and and blessed uh, to have these people in my life. They're friendships that will endure because nobody knows what we've done because they haven't done it with us. Today's podcast might sound a little bit different, but that's what happens when I try and organise a podcast from Gunda Buddy Windy. Uh, My guest today is travelling around this beautiful country of ours in a mobile home with her partner, and so far I haven't learned of any homicides, but they've only just begun. Uh, Anything could happen over the next couple of months. It might be safer for Anne to actually keep working and not retire, but she's well and truly earned her long and happy retirement. Anne O'Brien's name is synonymous with compassion, comfort, empathy, kindness, warmth, fun, humour, and unfortunately for many of us, a wine or ten too many. Anne was known to nearly every homicide, sex crime and major collision investigation unit member, and those who didn't know her soon learned of her importance in any investigation and subsequent court appearance. Anne's expertise wasn't at a crime scene or investigating a crime, but it was with the actual victim or witness to that crime. 
Anne was part of a team within the OPP, the Office of Public Prosecutions, who supported victims in any matter referred to the OPP by police. So although police and the OPP are different organisations and they've got different roles, they work together on criminal cases. Anne was a WAS, which is a Victim and Witness Assistance Servicer, service, sorry, social worker with the OPP. But Anne was no ordinary voice. Court for most people is intimidating. It's a mixture of anxiety, pressure, stress and or other uncomfortable emotions. And that's where Anne and her colleagues' expertise came in. Anne's role had many facets i.e. explaining to the victim or witness how the the system works, the court system, keeping the victim updated on the case progress, uh, providing advice on giving evidence in court, including uh, the victim with certain decisions uh, during the case and or why a certain decision has been made, uh, supporting the victim during meetings with lawyers, and if required, uh, they could refer them to other specialist services for further support. For example, like a child witness service, Uh, witness assistance program and court network. Anne and her colleagues can, in certain circumstances, sit with a victim or witness when they've been approved to provide evidence remotely, which might be due to, say, fear or intimidation by the accused, for instance. Uh, They can organise a court support dog when giving evidence, organise a screen in court so that the victim uh, giving evidence doesn't have to see the accused while giving evidence and uh, even close the court to the public sometimes while giving their evidence. Anne and her colleagues are highly trained and, as I said before, they can make a huge difference because the more relaxed the witness is, the better the evidence is that they can provide. The only thing Anne didn't do or couldn't do was actually give evidence for the victim or the witness. I met Anne way back in around the early 90s when I began specialising in sex offence investigations. I called on her expertise many times and I'd have to say in the majority of matters that she assisted me with, Anne's expertise helped enormously with, let's say, an incarceration of a sex offender because Anne was the person who helped make the court process as smooth as possible for the victim. And let's face it, without the victim's testimony, there's no court case. So uh, from me here in uh, Rochester, Victoria, at the uh, community centre to Anne in Gunda Buddy Windy, also known as Gunda Windy, <laughs> uh, welcome Anne and it's lovely to uh, to chat with you. So I think we'd better get straight into it because time is of the essence here and the internet is also very, very dodgy. So thanks, Anne, and let's get into it, shall we, while we've got a decent connection. So what was it that drew you to the victim witness assistance role and, and what did you like about it? Um, well, I've always enjoyed... Um, being involved in some way in the legal system. And uh, this seemed to tick all my boxes when I went for the interview. Um, I called it interview experience, thinking I probably wouldn't get it. And uh, that was 25 years ago. Um, Yeah, and I lucked it and got it. And uh, I've loved it, every bit of it. When you say 
always interested in the courts and that side of things. Where does that interest come from, do you think? I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. I think it's more of a, I don't know, more of a justice aspect, I think. Um, I like the idea of people um, being able to receive justice and I guess because I'm a social worker, I've always um, wanted to help people. Uh, and this, again, ticked those boxes of helping people through get through a very complex system. I mean, if you don't know anything about the criminal justice system other than what you see on American TV shows, then um, it's very tricky to navigate, isn't it, as you know. So, and this job, you learn something new every day. No day is the same. Even if you're working on the same case for weeks, you're still learning all the time. So with your interest in justice, funny you say how helping people because that's exactly what policing's about. Did you ever or did it ever cross your mind to become a police person? No. Do you want to think about that? Oh, Norella wouldn't have got past the physicality of it. There's no <laughs> way I can't climb a hill, uh, <laughs> let alone get over one of those big board things like, you know. No, there's, uh, no I never, ever, ever thought of being a police officer or a lawyer. Um, no, never, never. Okay, your interest was in assisting, as you say, and I get that, assisting people in their time of need and probably the most nervous and most anxious time anyone will ever be is in a courtroom. It isn't a place which exudes calmness, does it? Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. And the, and the waiting uh, to get on, the fear of the unknown. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's part of uh, where our job is so specific, and that is to uh, allow people to understand exactly where everyone sits, stands, who goes first, who goes second, what you call the um, the magistrate or the judge, mm. uh, what they're wearing, they're just a uniform, you know, they might be a wig in a row, but they're simply a uniform. So you take the mystique out of it and take the scary out of it. Um, and then that allows people to feel just that little bit more comfortable, takes the edge off a little bit. And you're right, you know, the waiting. I don't think I've ever been involved in a case where we walked into court and it was on, like ready to proceed. And if we did, it was rare. You'd have to wait for, I don't know, let's say the magistrate or the prosecutor or the defence or something's happened where someone's fallen ill, they're running late, somebody's got a flat tyre, the queue's delayed for whatever reason. It just went on and on. And it's such a very, very stressful place to be. Well, that's how I felt as a police person. I can't imagine what it would have been like as a person who'd never, ever set foot in a courtroom or had any dealings with the court. It's such an intimidating place and there's got to be a way to make that easier. I suppose what you are saying is the role you play is trying to alleviate some of that stress and anxiety. Yeah, yeah. And it's also, you know, sitting with people in that 
um, and allowing them to voice their concerns, their fears, their anxiety, and then working on little strategies to to deal with that, you know, allowing them to just um, be in the moment but but be the companion there with them in that moment. Um, And because you do it all day, every day, and that's what you do, they trust you to tell them the truth, to be genuine, to be authentic, um, and to understand what they're going through because you've sat with hundreds of people before them. So who could you provide assistance to in your role of uh, what we call voice, voice, if you're happy with me using that term? Yeah, sure. I call myself a wasetch. Oh, I love that. Let's call you a wasetch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are such a wasetch. <laughs> <laughs> when when uh, I first started in the role um, all those years ago, there were only two of us and um, – we um, we grew the service and initially it was just the Witness Assistance Service, WAS, and so I dubbed us the WASEPs and um, that sort of stuck. And then I can't remember when they changed our name to VWAS, but um, I just always thought of myself as a WASET and continue to do so even though I'm retired. I call myself an ex-WASET now. <laughs> but um, yes, it was uh, back in the day. It was, um, as I said, it was only the two of us, myself and um, a lovely Scottish lady called Annie Davy, and um, prosecutors. Often, old school prosecutors never spoke to the police informant. They never spoke to the witness before they got into the witness box, yep. um, and that role was left wholly and solely to us. And um, thank God things have changed because now um, it would be very rare for a prosecutor not to meet with a witness before they gave their evidence just to um, introduce themselves and reassure them and conference them and that would be done with the WASET um, present um, because we've – and the informant present um, because I think, as you know, Narelle, the cases that work the best, regardless of the result, whether it's a guilty or a not guilty verdict, the cases that work the best, have the best outcomes, are where uh, everyone, all the professionals involved, work with the, the witnesses, the complainant, and the witnesses as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think, you know, the, that's the trick. That is the trick to allow people to feel like they've been heard, mm. and um, regardless of the result, and you prepare people for the result. You know, you prepare people for uh, uh, an acquittal. Um, you prepare people for a hung jury. You prepare people for a guilty verdict, and then what comes after that? Mm. You prepare people for the appeal that usually comes after that. Mm. So. Um, it's all of the things that are unknown um, that you, uh, yeah, you impart your knowledge and wisdom of the system. How do you prepare the man? Like I understand preparing for the for like if the person is found guilty, but how do you prepare someone for an acquittal? How do you prepare someone for a not guilty verdict? How do you prepare someone? hearing the sentence and or conviction is going to be appealed. I imagine a victim of any crime 
would feel disbelieved. Like I can't imagine the emotions that they must go through. So how do you prepare them for that? Well, the first thing that I say is that in our in our legal system, um, and you'll notice I really don't call it the criminal justice system. I've long since let go of that. I call it a criminal legal system because I don't know that everybody gets justice. Um, well, in fact, I know that not everybody does. So yeah. um, uh, call me jaded. But um, so in our system, there's not a finding of innocence. No one is ever found innocent. And that's the first thing that I tell people when I'm preparing them for an outcome, mm-hmm. that nobody will ever be found innocent um, that a not guilty verdict is uh, a verdict where the prosecution has not been able to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt and you were only one of the 30 witnesses in the jigsaw puzzle um, that was presented to the jury. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not a matter of you being disbelieved. Um, there are any number of witnesses that could have um disrupted a guilty verdict. Um, So uh, you're not to wear it on your shoulders. It's the prosecution's job to prove um, the case um, to the requisite standard, which is beyond reasonable doubt. So, Anne, if the prosecutor, let's say, and what you're saying is absolutely right, but I'm just thinking, what would you say? Like the prosecution must feel enormous guilt as well, if they can't prove a case, do you ever counsel them or help them? (laughs) Sorry, I didn't realise that was quite so amusing. (laughs) Police, explain. If you only knew how many people I've counselled that are not victims or witnesses in this job. I But it it would only be uh, considered on an informal basis. (laughs) Yeah. Um, after after work, after a trial, or, you know, we always needed a debrief, um, particularly on a um, on an acquittal, and um, yeah. you know, very often, most often, um, you know, prosecutors and solicitors and informants would, um, you know, they'd say, "Well, look, I wouldn't have done anything different." Um, I don't know how the jury came to that. Um, because we presented them with the best possible case that mm. we could. Mm. Um, and, you know, their job is to do that. Their job is to present mm. the court uh, and the 12 jurors with the best possible um, case in the most honest and fair way. Mm. And um, if that's not good enough, then, you know, I don't know what is. I don't know how we, you know. That's, that's just all you can do if everyone's done their best and that's why I revert to what I said earlier about being part of a team. If the mm-hmm. team works cohesively and works together, um, you know, and pro- provides the best possible service to a witness and victim and provides the best possible case to a court, that you can't ask for more than that. You know, you're right. I've had a couple of cases, well, a number, but you try not to remember them, where I've lost a trial or a case. And as an informant, the guilty, the guilt and responsibility you feel is very, very difficult to manage. And you and your colleagues, well, particularly you, uh, helped me and my team a lot. But as you say, it's a team effort, isn't it? But you don't feel like that when the not guilty verdict is read out, for instance. 
you feel like you've failed your victim, Victoria Police, the state, like it's all your fault. It is an awful feeling. It is an awful feeling, but if you if you work together as a really cohesive team, then you share the burden of that. You share the load of that. Um. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. And you don't feel that it all falls on your shoulders. And I think that's, um, you know, that's uh, particularly important because. Um, it's important for a victim to see too that everybody is working together collegiately um, mm. in their interests, you know, that they're mm. trying to do their best whilst they know the whole time because we talk to them about it that this doesn't guarantee an outcome. And that's why it's so important, isn't it, to prepare a victim or witness for the fact that the accused could be acquitted or found not guilty. But just going back, Anne, I remember you said when you first started there was only two of you. Oh, and I do remember that lovely Scottish lady, Anne, too, wasn't she? Annie Davey. Oh, and you know, I remember I used your services in the first couple of trials I had. Do you remember those days, Anne? Yes, yes. Oh, my God, they were. Well, that was when I first met you, Narelle. You were with the old rape, what was called then the rape squad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was when we first met. And, um, yeah, I remember I had you on um, I still do, Dale. I had you on a pedestal um, because I just thought, oh, you know, this this girl really gives a damn about, you know, her work and what she's doing. And, look, I have to say I really um, could count on one hand not even how many police have not cared. Um, Vic Poller just uh, there 
amazing. And, you know, I've worked with just so many amazing, mm. amazing members who, you know, they not only look after the victim, they look after the victim's family. Yeah. Uh, they make sure that the you know, if they've identified any issues with the family, that they introduce the social worker um, to the family to deal with um, because they understand their skill set and they understand that, well, Madam Adepthia, I need, I need to call in, um, you know, some expertise here. And, uh, you know, like um, families of uh, clergy victims, for example, you know, where they've given their what they thought they gave their kids the best education in the Catholic system um, and they um, and they then went on to be offended against by a priest and they didn't tell their family or anybody and you know until 30 years later for example and mm. you know the families the parents are just absolutely devastated mm. devastated mm. and um Yes, yeah, so, you know, you've got to get involved with the family. Um, often you talk to the family about, you know, just exactly what we tell um, each other in the system, that you do the very best you can at the time. Um, and sometimes that's just not good enough and it doesn't have the right outcome. Yeah. But at the time you did the very best you could. Yep. Yeah, you know, that's great what you're saying. It's very comforting, I'm sure, for a lot of people to hear you say that you could count on one hand the amount of VicPol members that you felt didn't care. Yes, yeah. few and far between, few mm. and far between, you know. Yeah. Like VicPol just would go out of their way, um, you know, particularly so I did a lot of what we'd call circuit work. I did a lot of work in the country, as you know, mm. and um, so I was away a lot days at a time, weeks at a time, and um, the informant uh, would look after me as well. Yeah, sometimes you needed a bit of looking after too, young Anne. Yeah, well, I know. I mean, you know, there's blue light taxis and, you know, there's, um, you know, you need you need to know where to eat and they'd make sure you weren't on your own of an evening and, um, you know, if you wanted to go out, that they'd make sure that there was company and, you know, that, like they just... Um, I remember one of my very special peeps who you probably saw at my farewell, Narelle Paul Bubb. He, he, um, I did some big cases. He's part of the was part of the homicide squad. I did some big cases with him and some very very sad cases. And um, you know, like he would. Um, I remember one night the the mother of the um, deceased uh, young man. Um, we were doing a job down in Bairnsdale, a trial down in Bairnsdale, and um, the or sale might have been sale. Anyway, the mother of the deceased young man was staying by herself in the caravan park because um, oh. nobody pays for accommodation for people um, who aren't witnesses in a matter. Mm. And so she was staying by herself down in the caravan park, and you know, Bubby would um, drop me off down there. Um, uh, after court, you know, in the evening so I could have, you know, just a, a nice cold glass of Prosecco with her and, and debrief with her and then he would pick me up um, and make sure I got home or out to gym with everyone else or whatever. But, you know, like that that's the sort of thing that I mean about, you know, he was looking after her but he was also looking after me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you have those relationships and and then, you know, you retire and, he comes down from Sydney, you know. 
Oh, really? Um, yeah. To be there and Steve McIntyre the same and, you know, lots yeah. of country people like your good self and, um, you know, and I felt very humbled and, and um, blessed uh, to have these people in my life. They're, they're friendships that will endure because mm-hmm. nobody knows what we've done because they haven't done it with us. It's only people who do it with you that not really know. Mm. And have been with you through, I mean, with your role in assisting the victim. like And the family of deceased oh. in a homicide case or, yeah. you know, where they have to sit through that gruesome, horrible, often, you know, um, torturous uh, yeah. factual information. And, you know, we do try and discourage them from sitting through the crime scene um, information and the pathology, you know. We talk to them about how you can never unhear and you can never unsee. Um, and then you give them the information and then they make an informed decision to be mm. in the court or not. Mm. Um, and I tell them that I don't sit through that Um because uh, that is a pile-on for me. I I understand my limitations and I understand that I need to keep myself well and healthy so that I can deal with the next family and the next family. And so I never looked at crime scene information. I never sat through pathology and I never looked at photos on the brief ever because I, I knew that in order to keep myself well, Mm-hmm. Um, that was my that was my tipping point that I I couldn't do that. So mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that's I think hats off to Vic Pole members who have to do all of that. You know, your front line, and you have to do all of that um, and try and stay well. You had no choice. I had a choice. Yeah, I was yeah. able to decide what mm-hmm. what I would and would not do, what I would and would not hear, what I would and would not see, but. You guys don't have a choice. No, uh, we don't. But I suppose in the end, somebody has to do that role. Like there's a lot of roles in a trial or any court case which are unpleasant, but in the end someone has to do it and be across all the police evidence. So in talking about that, was there a time when you felt, apart from when you retired, was there a time in your 25 years where you felt, I can't do this anymore? Look, there were a few, not many. Not many, I must say, but there were a few times where, um, you know, I, we, I'd done a few hard things and I probably should have taken, you know, a holiday afterwards, not kept going, not pushed. Um, and I remember um, saying to one of my awesome managers at one point when when you um, decided that you'd had enough, and I remember saying to her, Charlene, um, that, uh, you know, I'm a lot like you, um, mm-hmm. meaning I'm a lot like Narelle Fraser. I'm not as good, but, you know, um, I'm a lot like you in my personality and the way I deal with things and, you know, the way I talk about things and the way I think about things. Mm-hmm. And um, I became very, very conscious after that that if, if it could happen to you, it could happen to me. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I I was much better at self-care because of you. 
Um, I would take the holidays. I would take the time. I still didn't turn my phone or my emails off, (laughs) which is naughty. But um, So I wasn't fully on board with self-care, but I would pick and choose, you know, what was urgent and what could wait um, rather than making myself too accessible. But, you know, um, yeah, there were times, there were times and... um, yeah, and then I'd bounce back. Well, thanks, Anne. It's very nice of you to say those things. Thank you. But I think if I did anything, there's one person that I've saved. <laughs> That's you. Well, saved is a strong word, but there's one person who I know I made a difference to. Look, uh, one of one of my roles was, um, as it was it, was uh, I used to go out to the police academy and talk to the detective training school members and um, and also the um, sex offences, um, I can't remember what they're called. Socket, Sex Offence and Child Abuse Investigative Team? The Sockets, yes, yeah. yes. And I would go out and talk to them um, during their training um, and one of the things that I would talk to the, uh, them about right at the very end was how I looked after myself and how I self-care. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I would say to them, you know, if I, if I think about all of my um, friends who are coppers who have fallen over um, and uh, not been able to return to the job or had to retire early, mm-hmm. um, you know, they – None of them thought that it would happen to them. And I said, and you're all sitting here thinking that's not going to happen to me, but it could. So look after yourselves. Work out what your limitations are. Um, You don't always have to say, yes, I'll do that. You don't always have to put up your hand. Mm -hmm. If you don't feel like you can answer another ringing phone or open another email from that particular person, Mm -hmm. uh, you need to go for a walk and have a think about why you're feeling like that. Um, you know, and it's the little things that you need to be mindful of. And, you know, some of my darling friends um, from the Major Collision Squad, I mean, you know, um, sexual assault and murder cases are very, very difficult, but um, culpable driving mm-hmm. cases and dangerous driving cases are incredibly difficult because nobody ever meant to get into a car pissed or full of methamphetamine and kill someone. Yeah, you're right. So true. So the families of deceased and the grief and loss and the randomness of those um, are just so difficult to work in. Mm. And, um, yeah, I often found that those cases um, were very, very traumatic um, so I had to be, take real care. And there were times when I'd say, okay, I don't want another cop drive for a while. I need a break. I need a break from them. Yeah, yeah. So then I'd just get murder and mayhem instead. You know what I mean? Like there's no yeah. good cases to get. No. Like no. there's no good cases. Yeah, you're right. Uh, there are only a few victims and witnesses who have crossed that line with me from a professional relationship to a friendship. I generally tried to keep them at arm's length, but but there's some that just get get through that facade, isn't there? I'm just wondering, you you've had a similar relationship. Have you had a similar relationship with any victim or witness? Many, many, and and people might say that my you know look 
you know, you've got a boundary issue and, um, yeah, I'll wear it. I'll wear that like a badge uh, because they decide when they don't need to keep in touch with you. They decide. I will always answer the call, but they decide. So, you know, um, the first one that springs to mind, um, I guess, is Cindy Gambino, um, uh, who's... Um, ex-husband, um, Robert Farquharson, murdered her three little boys in the dam. Mm. Um, and I, she kept in touch with me and we would meet oh, maybe twice a year, um, and, but the whole crew would come. So the prosecutor, the solicitor, the police informant oh, and myself. Really? Yeah. And, yeah, we'd either meet for a meal or um, uh, a quick sip somewhere twice a year in the evening after court, after work. Yeah. And um, and she kept in touch with me on social media and by phone. Um, not a lot, but, you know, just enough to keep that, keep that communication, line of communication open. And, um, yeah, so oh, a couple of months ago we all caught up for, they came down to Melbourne, her and her husband came down to Melbourne um, and we all caught up. Uh, at a pub in the city and um, that was on a Thursday night, I think it was Thursday night, and um, and the, on the Sunday night she passed away um, of natural causes. So, you know, that just, um, that just taught me, you know, not that I didn't I already know it, but it just taught me that, you know, when people want to see you and want to catch up, don't put them off. Um, yeah, because I would have felt so guilty if I hadn't attended that night. You know, life doesn't get any crueler or unfair in a way, does it? Like there's Cindy, loses her three boys in circumstances which are almost impossible to imagine. Well, not almost, they are impossible to imagine. And then she somehow survives through all of that and finds happiness again, a loving husband. And then passes away. Has two oh. children. I know, I know. It's like, yeah, yeah. You, you question you, you question your faith sometimes. You really do. Oh, um, you do. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I was just so pleased that, you know, her and I had a really good night that night. We had really good conversations. She was in, re- in a really good place. Yeah. I mean, and that, that could have cause to make me even sadder, but the fact that, you know, she was in a really good fl- a place and, you know, mm. she seemed to have a level of peace um, that I hadn't seen before. So, um, yeah, yeah, just so sad. But, there are, yeah, there are quite a number of others that um, still reach out on occasion and, um, and that, you know, I meet for coffee or, um, you know, one girl um, has come out to the academy. She's so brave. She's come out to the academy with me and, talked about how, you know, the prosecution service um, helped her and police helped her through the process um, in three trials, um, you know, and, yeah, just so, and she did it all because she wanted to give back. So that's just the first interview that I've done with Anne, but there's much more to come. When she leaves Gunda Buddy Windy and uh, when we've got better internet access. So bear with me 
so I will be in contact with Anne when she gets back in range and uh, we will continue our interview. But until then, have a great week. Thank you. It's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narell Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting! Simply go to www.patreon, that's P for Peter, A-T-R-E-O-N for Narelle.com and search for Narelle Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much. 